Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of The Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Sharona Friedman, President of the Global Institute for Sport. Sharona, big warm welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks, Connor. Nice to see you. Sharona, as we begin with every guest that comes on the show, could you please take us through your earliest football memory? My earliest football memory? Well, I have to tell you. Um, I So, not so funny, but behind me is actually uh, TFC Stadium, um, which is uh, the, also the Canadian National Stadium, and I'm from Toronto, a very proud Torontonian. Um, and I think like all Torontonians, uh, I was actually raised with nothing but uh, ice hockey and baseball uh, sort of in the background of every telly and every restaurant and every mall, you know. Um, and uh, and then later on, got a, the raps came in, in 95 while I was in high school. Um, so, so I didn't see very much football or soccer um, in my life. Um, but uh, my mom was born in Israel and I used to go every summer to Europe, uh, Europe or, or Israel. And uh, I do remember the Euros being on when I was in high school and I had never heard of soccer or football really other than what you play at recess. Like it wasn't a, a it wasn't a, sort of the main sport for us in Canada at the time. Um, we certainly didn't have amazing facilities like these with fireworks and, you know, everything, the infrastructure that's happened in Canada since. Um, so I, I remember being in uh, Netanya, a city in Israel, um, and the entire square was filled with hundreds of people and they were all staring at a screen, big jumbo screen, uh, and it was the Euros. And uh, I remember thinking, well, everyone's into soccer here or football or whatever. I, I just remember thinking it was so bizarre um, because in Canada, it's, it's, it's ice hockey, you know, hockey, hockey, hockey at the time. Um, and sort of my first memory, to be honest, of football was like, like, what are all these, like, why are there hundreds or thousands almost of people staring at this? I didn't know what was going on. Um, and actually, my second experience of football was similar. I was doing my, I finished my doctorate in, in Australia. And I had the same experience where a bunch of my flatmates were were British. And they're dragging me at four in the morning. This is, you know, a few years later, four, four in the morning, I was being honestly dragged uh, by all my flatmates, there was a Welsh guy and a British guy and this Italian woman, and they're dragging me again to watch this the Euros, you know. Um, and of course, I then eventually moved to England, uh, and very quickly realized uh, that that soccer football is like is the ice hockey of of the rest of the world, <laughs> um, and it's now caught on, hasn't it? Just absolutely everywhere. So, um, so to be perfectly honest with you, my my first experiences with football were like what's going on you know and um even when I worked my first day at Wembley I had a picture uh, I probably shouldn't publicly admit this but it's true and if I can make it in, in football anybody can make it in football uh, I had my first job in football in Wembley Stadium right at my university and above my desk was a picture of Stephen Gerrard and if you're listening Stephen I'm very sorry I didn't know who that was I didn't really understand what Liverpool FC was and people had to explain it to me. And I found myself in boxes hosting people, you know, and everyone's like, you don't deserve this job. Um, but I very quickly, uh, very quickly uh, realized what the passion uh, for this sport can do around the world, as has my entire country. I think we've all caught on now, the rest of the world. Um, but yeah, honestly, I came to this really late in life. Amazing. It reminds me of uh, that open, one of the opening lines from Oppenheimer. I don't know if you've seen it recently, but Niels Bohr, his interaction with Oppenheimer about uh, speaking about uh, music, says it doesn't matter if you can play it, it only matters if you can hear it. But I have mm. to say, you saying soccer being the ice hockey sport of the world is the most Canadian thing ever. Of the rest of the world. And um, I mean, a lot of people will Listen, know. Listen, you this. can take the girl out of Canada. A lot, a lot of people listening will have deciphered by now that um, the one common thread that's binding us both is obviously UCFB. Um, I was very fortunate to graduate through mm -hmm. the campus in the years of 2018, 2019, doing master's in sports management. But in 2014, you joined UCFB and, and it wasn't long before it became the fastest growing highest education institution in the UK. Uh, Sharona, what were the reasons 
behind UCFB's early success? Well, um, if I was being silly, I'd say a coincidental date. Um, no, uh, what I was, <laughs> the woman who knew nothing about football, um, no, what I have to say, um, in seriousness, uh, a, a tremendous, um, a tremendous credit to the founders, I, I would say. Um, uh, Brendan Flood, Paul Fletcher, John Benaskovitz, um, you know, they, so, so kind of as the folklore goes, um, but, you know, I was there enough to know it's, it's based on a lot of truth. Um, Brendan had just come. So Brendan Flood uh, was a former Burnley, um, Burnley FC director, and he actually came to the club. He had, you know, was a really humble, lovely guy and he, he had done quite well in the banking world. And so he, he had cash and, you know, he thought, okay, well, he's, he's passionate Burnley fan. Um, and it's contagious, actually, the passion he has for that club. And he he came when when Burnley wasn't in the Premier League anymore. And he said, I'm getting us up to the Premier League. Here's the cash. Now, he always talks about, I've worked with him for years, you know, products, people, cash. So he's like, okay, well, football in Burnley is great. And you've got the cash, but where are the people? Where are the actual you know, where are the humans that are are going to take us to the next level? Where are the, the business people, you know, the, the behind the scenes staff, like the people who are actually running the business? Uh, where do I get them from? Where do I find the best people in the business of football? And he realized that nobody was really graduating these types of students. And he comes from a huge family, lots of educators in his family. Um, he had turf more, so we had this stadium. And he thought, well, I have space. You know, uh, I've got, you know, education in my blood. I'm just going to start the world's first football university. Um, and he did. Uh, and it's it's gone quite well, 53 to almost 3,000 students, um, you know, in, in the space of about 11 years, which is fantastic. Um, and it at, at, we outgrew Burnley quite quickly. Um, we're now spread across Manchester. We've got events that happen both in Old Trafford and in, in you know, Etihad City Stadium. Our big campus, obviously, is in Wembley, um, which is quite iconic. Um, and uh, I think, you know, why is it such a success? First of all, that same passion that hooked, uh, you know, me, um, even coming to it late. My, my passion's always been education. Um, and and I, I come from, you know, I've worked at some of the absolute best universities in the world. I, I graduated from U of T, which is you know, always ranked top 10. I worked at the University of Chicago, which is a top 10, uh, Imperial College. Um, I've learned from the best of the best. Um, but I left that world for UCFD um, because of that passion. And to see what football, um, quote, Sharona Friedman, 2023, the ice hockey of the rest of the world, um, to, <laughs> to see... <laughs> to see what, honestly, to see what that does to people, to see, you know, even when I was a teenager, all these people sitting out in the middle of nowhere, staring at a screen, getting so excited, being dragged at four in the morning to watch these games, like to see what the power of football can do for people. Um, actually, that that does a lot. You know, it, it, it motivates people to want to learn, right? I always say that, you know, even if you just want to study finance, uh, studying at UCFB, you get to see the books of, you know, what would happen at Tottenham if they traded this player. That's, if you're passionate, that's a lot more interesting to learn your trade than, you know, no, no, sorry, General Motors, but, you know, General Motors books or, you know, such like. Um, so that's one angle of it. And I think we do have students who come just because it's more interesting way to learn finance or marketing or psychology. Um, but also, and I'm really passionate about this, you know, we're we're demystifying how do you get these jobs right we're we're actually giving people a really legitimate pathway um into football because we're we're educating them specifically on an industry that i love very much but oh my goodness it's crazy right like what other business model fluctuates by hundreds of millions depending on whether a ball goes between two posts without messing up the offside rule within the allotted time without this, without that, you know, it's kind of crazy. Um, and the, and, and, you know, having humans 
um, you know, having to be in good shape and mentally fit. And it, it's just, it's, it's like a, it's, it's extreme business, if you will, in that respect, you've got to be really, really clever and agile. Um, and it's a little bit different than, than running non-sporting businesses in a sense. And so having, um, people have an actual educated, you know, time to think, learning best practice um, path into these jobs where historically, you know, and I'm being uh, generalizing, but historically it was all about who you knew. Um, now it's actually also what you know, and we've got the networks that help these students um, get into the industry. And so that, I think, you know, demystification and, and frankly, the diversification of talent thereby into um, football, all of that um, and the benefit that the industry has seen in hiring our students as a result of getting these, you know, people with work experience who have learned from guest speakers, who have learned their trade. Um, it's such a symbiotic relationship um, that, you know, I think that's the success is that we were built from industry for industry, you know, and I think that's that's the winning formula. and. Um, and, and cut a long story short, I think that formula is why, you know, over time, myself and Brendan Flood and our COO, James McEwen, then founded the Global Institute of Sport, um, because that is such a, you know, it's such a powerful thing, what, what Brendan and John and Paul created at UCFB, but that's completely scalable. It's, you know, the same for sport, not just football. And it's the same around the world, um, you know, not just the UK. And as I said, the whole world is absolutely cut on to soccer and football. Depends who I talk to, what which word I use. Um, but there's a lot of sports that are, um, you know, breaking barriers. NFL coming to the UK, cricket coming to the US, basketball spreading all over the Caribbean. Like there's a lot of that. And so um, taking the UCFB model and kind of, you know, which is, you know, it's sort of this extreme uh, business of football in an education form and now taking this globally um, and applying it to sport in general, lots of cross learning um, and and break, breaking outside of the UK um, is is what GIS does, and uh, hopefully we'll see very much the same with GIS as we did with UCFB. Um, but I'm still so look at me, I'm still so excited about it, and I've been there for a decade, and I'm I'm like I'm still going, I'm still learning about football by the way, but I've I, I've got a lot more. <laughs> I've got a lot more knowledge at this point. And I mean, it came up in our chat off air too, Sharona. I mean, it's amazing when you zoom out and see like the small startup that UCFB was respectfully in 2014 compared to the behemoth that is the Global Institute for Sport now in 2023. And, you know, a lot of the same faces I came across in 2018 during my time at the college, they're still there now in 2023. So what I'm most intrigued to learn more about is how has GIS allowed for that longevity and how has GIS allowed to kind of keep the advantages of being a small startup at the very get-go? How have they managed to retain that? I just think it's, it, one, it's all about the right people. Um, and and I think that to, to me, you know, culture is number one. You can teach people almost anything, but you can't teach them culture. And, and I don't know, Connor, if you've ever heard me talk at an open day or any of my team um but you know we have we have values and we we live and breathe them they're not just sort of on the website um you know they they, they get weaved into interviews for staff they get weaved into applications for um for students you know who apply or who especially for scholarships um you know and we we really do harness them um we have i probably don't give enough credit sometimes we have the most extraordinary global advisory board. Um, and I, I cannot tell you how incredible they are. A number of them have been um, mentoring students and doing scholarships and things like that. Um, but they also really feed into the content. Um, you know, what are we teaching? What format are we teaching in? Is it a degree? Is it a short course? Is it a module? Is it, you know, whatever, to, to make sure that we are continuing that link of sort of, you know, for industry, from industry. Um, and I think between the people in the industry that I honestly can't thank enough, um, that really do give up their time to our students and to us, um, as well as 
the staff that we employ. Um, and I think our students are quite passionate about what we do too. Um, but I think it's that that passion really from football that translates into we're all here for the same purpose. And I, I think that's a little bit what makes us different from a traditional um, university is that we are all here, you know, all of us, because we absolutely love sport. Um, maybe you're here, you know, because you love the performance side of it or the psychological side of it. Or for me, I'm obsessed with, you know, the, the development of economies and, uh, you know, how you can really shift that as a, as a part of, you know, sport and sports industry. And But whatever it is, um, all of our staff and all of our students are really, really passionate about sport um, and and bettering the world through sport and sports people are by nature quite competitive and always want to improve. So um, I think there's a real culture um, that we've built, but also that naturally exists with people who are, you know, so passionate about what they do um, that they've come to an institute that's absolutely laser focused and specialized on that, you know? What's fascinating for me is obviously you guys have gone from Turf Moor, one campus, to all four corners of the world that we'll touch upon shortly, having summits yeah. in the likes of Melbourne, Toronto, New York, so on and so forth. Yet the last time we spoke at indeed one of those summits in Toronto, you still you said that accessibility still remains an issue. How is that the case, Sharona? For education. Yeah. Yeah. So what I would say is um, in the Canadian market, um, if you if you look at that in that respect, um, you know, are there enough people uh, who are working in football or sport in Medicine Hat, um, you know, Canada, or I'm trying to think of other, you know, smaller cities, or even London, where you are, right? Um, are there enough people to sustain um, a football specific campus or a sport specific campus? Um, in that particular geographic area, probably not. Um, because one of, I think the, the real benefits of what we do is we have the largest sports faculty in the world, um, but to have that duplicated all over the world doesn't make very much sense. Um, so what we've done is we've put um, GIS, all of our programs are available online. Um, and a lot of these are you know online with, well, all of them have opportunities, some of them have mandatory opportunities to actually come to Toronto and learn from that market or go to Australia. So we just had a whole cohort of students with us at the World Cup, which was amazing, or, you know, go to New York and learn from, you know, every major US sporting code within the space of a week, etc. Um, I shouldn't, I shouldn't forget, uh, you know, Miami, and all the all of that hype that that's been bringing lately as well. But you know, those are big markets where we can actually sort of make sense to put lots of resource into helping push the industry forward by putting everything online. Actually, you know, we have students who might be, you know, single parents who, you know, are living in somewhere remote or uh, somebody who uh, is maybe can't afford to work full time or wouldn't be able to afford to study on campus in Toronto or on campus in, in Wembley. Um, that can actually access the education quite flexibly, quite flexibly, and quite part time, and and that's always been a massive. As I said to you in Toronto, that's really something I'm passionate about um, because making um, creating this education with these 36 unbelievable advisors, the hundreds and hundreds of humans, that, you know, in our partnerships that are that are part of the sphere, the the students, the alumni like yourselves, like having this amazing ecosystem. Uh, and now the the power, frankly, of what the internet does, you know, you you sitting in London, Canada, me sending in London, <laughs> England. Um, I think that's that's huge, actually. And the world's really opened up, unfortunately, due to the pandemic, the world's really opened up to being really receptive and actually learning well this way. So by putting all of that education online, creating lots of shorter courses that might be more affordable, as well as degree level courses, um, you could be somebody sitting in, you know, India, Jamaica, Brazil, uh, anywhere, and still access the best and the best learning from all of these sporting professionals around the world. And I think that's fantastic. Of course, I do. I'm, I'm the president, but I really do. I, I really believe in that. And I, I speak to my students and alumni all the time. Um, 
you know, I think that's something that they will tell you is having that global access at your fingertips and all of that learning and knowledge at your fingertips, no matter where you are and whether your country has the same sporting infrastructure as the US, which is obviously like an incredible sporting infrastructure market or the UK or Australia, um, you know, being able to access all that learning um, and then even drop in if you can afford to do so time and financially to some of our summits um, has given us layers of being able to give the same quality of education to somebody who can afford to come and sit in a class all day long or just access it online part-time, bite-sized courses. Um, and I think that access to education that a flexible flexible model allows and also that the internet and you know the acceptance now of, of online learning has given. Um, I, I honestly believe, you know, I, I say this quite unashamedly, I actually think, you know, our students have the power to change the world um, because they can access all of this and then disseminate it wherever they are. Um, and that's kind of my mission, as ambitious as it might be. I mean, I can vouch for that myself in terms of, I remember back in 2018, 2019, one of those hybrid students was Mahir, Mahir Pandaya, who's currently working for the NBA in PR and media. I remember at that very time, in fact, he was doing an internship with the MLS. So he'd be working between the Starbucks under the Wembley Arch and going into lectures. Just Mahir. Mahir. Pandaya, yeah. Here, Pandaya, yeah. Told you, I love my students. I know who they are. So, obviously, yeah. LES has been at the forefront yes. of the education evolution for a long time. They've been pretty ahead of the buck, or of the puck, so to speak, using a Canadian term. But um, for, for budding students and even current sporting professionals, what areas of the sporting industry should they be most attentive to and focused at the moment? Yeah, Um. so... I can I can only repeat sort of what what my um what my advisory board often tell me. So there's a lot of chat, um, a lot of chat and themes. So we we often have these meetings with them where we talk about exactly that. You know, what are your needs, um, so that we can produce graduates that meet your needs. Um, and common themes um, as of late, uh, for sure. I would say um, post pandemic there was lots of uh, you know actually soft skills. Um, so ensuring that graduates have resilience and, you know, that emotional muscle I told you about um, and, you know, being able to pivot, change management, all of that's been, you know, absolutely um, at the forefront of things that we've been uh, discussing. Uh, probably wouldn't surprise you to hear things like equality, diversity, inclusion, sustainability, um, you know, these are these are huge themes, um, especially after the last Women's World Cup. Sustainability was a really, really big thing. I mean, even in the last Men's World Cup in Qatar, they did loads of stuff in that space. Um, so sustainability and, and the footprint of sport is quite a big theme. Um, I'd also say huge. Um, and we've been really quick to to develop and, and we've had this running for a few years now is the is the performance analytics, um, you know, being able to understand data and apply data to that first thing I mentioned, which is, you know, understanding how to make um, quick decisions and pivoting, but being able to do so with reason, right? Not just, you know, sort of with guidance and sort of being able to understand data and how that works both in a business context, but also very much in the human performance side um, is, is, is quite key at the minute. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say those are the main the, the main themes that come up a lot. Player care actually is another thing. There's a lot of soft skills. I'd have to say that a lot of soft skills lately, this player care, leadership, you know, change management, um, and then the, the science things of the sustainability, um, the analytics. Um, people need to be really well-rounded. I think that's just the nature of having such a quickly evolving world i'm sure this is not unique to sport um but absolutely i think sports on a much more public stage than a lot of businesses um and so having those soft skills um as well as having those data-driven skills so that you can back up what you do and then having that emotional i think intelligence of you know what what should we be thinking about beyond just the selfish right and really thinking about the sustainability of what we're doing thinking about taking care of our players um you know thinking very much about diversity of of the workforce and inequality um 
you need to be a really um, well-rounded, I think a really well-rounded person to succeed um, truly in this industry um, now. I, and I probably more so going forward, yeah. I believe you're spot on, Sharona, because from a whole host of names that I've had on the pod, ranging from sports and directors, first team coaches, uh, high performance directors, they all believe like there's a gap there in the current graduate skill sets in terms of working with that first team for the very first time, be it an internship position or whatnot, the inability to kind of work in a multidisciplinary team. So I think identifying that gap and kind of working to minimize that over the coming time will be an interesting spoke, so to speak, for education. Yeah, we developed Connor um, as a result of this. And like I said, you know, I, I take credit for nothing. I have amazing advisors and all I do is listen and implement. You know, I'm, I'm the middle woman and, and, you know, what do my students want? What does the industry want? Uh, and I'm a real people pleaser. So I'm, I'm in a good job for my personality. Um, but the we developed a, a module called Global Sports Leadership. And it's a, it's a small module. It's 15 credits um, compared to like 180 is let's say the total of the degree. Um, but we make 100% of anyone who does a degree with us at GIS, everybody has to take that module. And, you know, sometimes it's a little bit like some, it's Vegemite, people either love or hate it, but they all appreciate, um, that was a very, uh, very specific cultural reference, but um, <laughs> a child of the world. Um, but, but, you know, they all appreciate it because the point of that module is that regardless of whether you're doing a coaching degree with us, a performance degree with us, a media degree, a business degree, um, it's it's about understanding um, cross-contextually and also cross-culturally different you know, regions and how the world works and how different people work, um, being able to understand others and kind of, it's almost empathy building in a more scientific way, right? So that you at least have some sort of a platform to say, okay, I want to be, um, you know, a finance manager for an NBA team. Um, so I'm, I'm specifically thinking basketball and finance, fine. Um, but I at least need to have some level of understanding of, well, what are coaches thinking about? You know, what what is important to them? Um, you know, so that when managing finances, you know that they have what they need to do, what they need to do. Or what what's my board going to be thinking about? You know, what are my customers going to be thinking about? You know, are they going to appreciate uh, me flying jets all over and, you know, lots of, you know, environment damaging, you know, fanfare? Depending on your culture, you may care more or less about that. But I think that's the other thing is understanding geographic implementation. Um, so at least at least explain to 100 percent of our graduates what they need to look out for at a very high level from different disciplines and different geographies and different sports so that they at least know what to be sensitive about if not to do a deep dive into absolutely everything because that's unrealistic um uh, so we've done that actually purposefully to solve that gap um and it's i think one of the reasons that we've got the the absolute best employability rate so um far be it for me but i i shout from the rooftops about the fact that uh, Sports Business Magazine, thank you to them. Um, you know, they they ranked us last year. Um, we were a top 40 European program at such a young age. Um, I, I have it in good advisement that we hopefully will will appear there again this year. And we had the the best score from all of the programs in student employability. So students getting jobs um, and in the sports industry. Um, and, you know, when asked, why do I think that is? That's why I think that is. Uh, because our graduates hopefully don't just leave with a degree, but they've actually like, as you'll know, because you experienced it, they'll have learned from different guest speakers. They'll have hopefully had opportunities to do internships or work projects. Um, and they're, they're forced, whether they want to or not, for a little, little bit of time to, to really build those empathy muscles and understand how to work best with people. And in the sports industry, probably more than anywhere else, you need to be a team player. Right. You, you can't be all about yourself or what your needs are. You have to have that empathy. Um, and I think that goes a really long way. You know, Connor, I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, you're seeing so many successes and hopefully we'll always do, um, you know, by nature, the fact you're doing this podcast, I'm just saying you're evidencing the, the desire to hear from other people and hear their perspectives. And hopefully all of your listeners are the same because they want to hear um, and in, indulge in all of these lessons. And I think that makes for a more well-rounded individual forcing you to think outside of your own, you know, sphere, even if it's a bit uncomfortable. Um, that's the only way we're going to work together to really 
build our industry, you know? Yeah. I mean, the best returns of life are always on the other side of imagination and they're often hard to accomplish without a team. And I mean, speaking on behalf of yourself and on behalf of your team, I mean, this all comes on the back of an extremely you know, profound stint in Australia, which recently coincided with the Women's World Cup on the back of the Melbourne Summit, which yeah, yes, to the Women's Coaching Summit, the inaugural run. So for people yeah, listening yeah. to Ron, could you t- could you speak to us about the past month in us? Because I know we've had to put this podcast back a few times for context too. I got so swept up. Um, well, I'll tell you something funny. So this 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 podcast is coming full circle and it's definitely not planned. But um, so that same woman who I told you, you know, in 2014, walked into her Wembley office and didn't know who Stephen Gerrard was and still kept saying soccer all the time in Wembley Stadium, which he shouldn't do. She definitely say football. Um, I honestly, I've, I don't think I have ever in, in the in the last decade I've been so, so, so lucky to watch some absolutely incredible um, soccer matches. I mean, incredible. I, I could spend a whole podcast just talking about those memories. Um, but I've never been so swept up like in this World Cup. I, oh my God, I, I think I actually physically cried a few times. The first the first time um, that I, I shed tears and my team were all looking at me like, who is this woman? Um, but it was, so it was England's first goal that they score um don't don't tell my my friends in Canada that it was an England moment but it was it was an England moment but it was it was it wasn't the fact that it was England although I have you know obviously a, a lot of love for England and a lot of love for Canada and a lot of love for the Matildas um but it was the fact that I was I couldn't believe that I was standing in a stadium with like nearly 50,000 people who were going absolutely wild and the players on the pitch were women and the referees women and there were women groundskeepers and women every I, I don't know I can't I cannot tell you I was so overwhelmed with emotion to see that and then I saw that consistently throughout the World Cup it was probably some of the most and I went to the last women's World Cup and it was also great but not like this um I think I think you know there was a match and a fire and now it's really growing like you could just feel um oh god Connor, you could just feel that there's a, a turning of the tides and you know I'm I'm a very practical person like I said to you my empathy is quite high so I I tend to be able to really easily be swayed because I, I can really understand lots of different sides of arguments right um but I, I have to say regardless of rationale as, as a woman, um, you know, as a human, actually, I, it doesn't even matter that I'm as a human to know that there were bans on, you know, women's football um, in the Soviet Union, in England, in um, Nigeria, uh, I believe, I believe in like five or set, six, seven, I don't know, loads of different countries had bans on women's football for, for decades, you know, um, loads. It wasn't a unique, even on a unique continent, Brazil, literally, I think it was like, you know, South American, African, European, I mean, everywhere. Um, and then to see um, that we are clearly like able to, you know, to demonstrate to the world that we can draw huge audiences. We can have sellout, not even just finals, but just, you know, even in the the rounds of 16, sellout games and break records. Um, oh, Connor was, I was unbelievable. And I have to say that the industry showed up. So the reason I had to keep extending my time there and, and unfortunately, and you put the podcast off, uh, podcast off once too, so it's not all on me, but, you know, was just really everybody showed up and, you know, um, most of my amazing advisors were there, not, you know, not just the ones that were based in Australia. Um, there was a, a fantastic equity summit put on, um, by Angel City, it was amazing attendance, lots of great discussions. Um, we, of course, had the the female coaching summit, packed 150 people it, out into a room, you know, talking about coaching women and how there are genuinely different, I'm sure you know as a coach, but there's really different ways to coach physiologically, you know, forget everything else, women versus men. Um, you know, talking about the fact that most stadium facilities, you know, are built for 
men's locker rooms, for example, you know. Um, so there was just so many good discussions and so many learning points um, and opportunities, frankly, for me to talk to people about giving my students internships or projects or, you know, engaging in curriculum pieces um, that I, I didn't want to be anywhere else. Um, but it's, um, I'll tell you one of the, the interesting learning things, and I'll, I'll leave it at that because I could probably talk about this for 45 minutes, but um, I, I'm sure you know uh, that Australia, for example, you know, uh, at, off the back of this World Cup, um, they've committed 200 million in funding um, for women's sport, right? Development of women's sport, which is amazing. Like what a what emotion. Um, but on the other hand, you've got a country like Jamaica, who just a different economy. I'm not, this is zero judgment. I'm just giving facts, right? Jamaica's team had to crowdfund just to be able to afford to get to the World Cup. And so you you met me enough times, Connor, to know that those are the kind of things that I'm like, you know, um, I, I hope that, you know, in time, um, I can do my little part and the whole world can do its part in sort of evening, evening, evening that out a little bit, because, um, you know, I think the, the galvanization of the world behind uh, women's football is just incredible. I love that my nephews in Australia um nothing to do with anything just when I walk into a room when they're playing their FIFA game they're playing women's teams you know that they think nothing of it like I love that we're in that space um but I certainly hope that at least you guys can play a small small part in helping and disseminate that passion that energy and the know-how to build those sporting economies across the world so that there isn't that much disparity going forward um so you know that was fueling fueling me quite a bit um, but it was still amazing to see. You know, I think all progress is amazing. Some really cool and profound insight. And I mean, armed with that, I mean, if you could zoom in out 10 years from now, what do you think or what do you even foresee the legacy of this tournament to be? Oh, God. Um, well, I, I would like to think that we'll continue. I shouldn't say we are. I, I, I think that's not fair. Like I, I do identify as a woman. So I, I just hope that, you know, um, women, uh, women's sport continues to break barriers. And I, I would hope, um, like, like I mentioned with my nephews, right. My, for my nephews, bless them. They, they just don't know the difference. They, they don't, they don't even think of it as like the women's world cup or the men's world cup. It's the world cup, you know? Uh, so I, I would hope, um, that as those kids, so in, in this case, 15 and, and 12, you know, when they're adults in 10 years from now, that that's the that's the fan base of the future. Um, and, you know, regardless of of anything sort of short termist, and I think there's a lot of polarizing opinions out there and of which I'm, I'm kind of washing my hands of, of having a side. But for the long term, you know, I think in the long term, regardless of what happens, um, those women, those female athletes, they played some amazing, amazing football. I mean, amazing. There was a commercial that I think the France team did. I don't know if you saw it, where there were all these like shots. Did you see that? And there was all these really? shots. And then you thought it was the men's World Cup team. But then afterwards, they, they showed you they were just sort of imposing the men's faces on the women athletes. And the quality of play was so engaging. Everyone was so engrossed. That, that's got to just be a platform to build. And I imagine we'll keep wrecking, breaking records. Um, and given time, you know, hopefully the next generation, It, I hope it's not even this a conversation. I, I just, I hope it's just their sport. Of course. Um, I don't even think, Sharona, it's about first order consequences, about like speaking of the quality of the women's game at the highest level. Because, uh, you know, to coincide, I mean, what GIS do, it, what you guys have been doing for profound long time too has been identifying like-minded clubs and organizations to partner with. And one of those is who's doing a really good job at the moment is the powerhouse project. Something yes. which caught my, yeah, caught my eye an awful lot recently. And for people who don't know, they're an organization that supports and nurtures the next gen of high quality female football coaches. You couldn't perhaps explain a little bit more about the work that they do. I can. Um, I absolutely love them. Um, so I'm glad you brought them up. If not, I probably would have just now. Um, but yes, so um, Molly and Rosie Kamita. Um, I, for those of you who haven't met them, Google them immediately and look at what they do. They are the most engaging um, 
uh, they're powerhouses themselves. Um, they're both former professional footballers. Um, they've played for top clubs. I mean, you know, Tottenham and West Ham and Watford. And, um, so, you know, they've played football um, at the highest level in the UK. Uh, for some time, they've had amazing careers. They're now all over the media. I mean, probably under a rock if you haven't heard of them lately. They're on everything, Expedia and Google and Sky Sports. And um, and 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 frankly, in addition to being probably the, the two nicest, they're twins, the two nicest, uh, you know, most wonderfully kind-hearted people you, you could ever meet. Um, they're extremely, extremely intelligent and very, very giving. Um, and they've put together an incredible program. Uh, we've partnered with them. So it's in conjunction with GIS, it's in conjunction with Nike, the FA, um, where they are trying to tackle. So I talked about having these, you know, leaders, but actually they're starting at grassroots level and they're saying, well, you know, in order to encourage more women to play and to stay with playing and to build that capacity, um, they, they need to have amazing coaches, right? Because at the end of the day, I'm sure as you'll agree with me, Connor, you know, the quality of coaching is really important. And, and Connor, we've talked about, haven't we, how important it is to have amazing humans passing knowledge on to amazing humans. And I think that building of great educators is really important, whether it's in, you know, coaching or in what I do. Um, and so they're working to build wonderful female coaches, which, you know, will make women players feel more comfortable to play because you'll have somebody who can, you know, you can look up to, you can say, okay, you can't be what you can't see, but you you can identify with these female coaches who will probably just naturally be better at understanding women's issues and, and coaching females and making them feel comfortable at younger ages, right? Um, and so they're doing that through uh, free coaching badges, you know, so that's being funded by Nike um, with, you know, really substantial scholarships to continue with us if they want to do so in a more formal capacity. And then loads of access to behind the scenes things, tickets, mentors, amazing mentors. They had, you know, Jill Scott, Hope Powell, like really fantastic people um, who have been engaging in this program uh, to to really give kind of like a safe space um, for for female coaches to grow and to flourish. Um, and they've they've just done an amazing job. Um, so yeah, definitely check out Powerhouse Project's websites. Just what what their coaches have done um, past leaving the program is really really phenomenal. Um, and I'm I'm so so honored uh, to be to be you know even a small part of what they do. Of course, and not only I mean speaking about your track record and the relationships, but also the partnership space. I mean, and with UCFB and now GIS having formed so many different relationships from the powerhouse project to the national league to the fa to kick it out throughout the years i mean what is exactly the, the secret or the silver bullet sharona in terms of forging those long-term relationships long-term partnerships yeah uh, i i think you know i think being authentic you know uh, people will, will find you out if you if you aren't authentic and so you know, if if you are fortunate enough, and and I think there's, look, there's an element of luck in in all of life, and they say you know opportunity equals luck plus preparedness and all of that, right? So, um, certainly an element of luck in everything, but um, it's that preparedness part that we can you know be ready for. And I think, like I said, being empathetic, um, being able to find win wins is is what myself and the team you know tend to do. We don't try to force partnerships. Um, you know, we, we have something amazing. We're really lucky and fortunate, um, to have something amazing in the community that we've built, um, you know, which is, uh, all brought together by a combination of best practice education filtered in by amazing minds. And then, you know, passionate students who are soaking that up and that's a powerful thing to have. Um, and so those partnerships are built very much on the genuine desire on our part to get our students experience, but also to make sure that we are providing the right education to the students so that they get jobs at the end. Um, there's loads of ways that we, as an educational establishment, um, measure ourselves, you know, and um, student student success and, and grades and all of that is, you know, absolutely traditional. But, but for me, you know, uh, any day of the week, for me, it's that our students love what they do and they're happy 
and that they're getting, you know, the job that they want at the end and that my partners are getting the right students for those jobs so that it's a symbiotic relationship. And so, you know, I think the, the secret sauce is, you know, that empathy, I, I think, and the culture that we've built and making sure that, like I said, you know, when, when we when we hire staff on the interview form, you know, we want to understand if your values align with ours. If we're, you know, students on their application form, we want to know if your values align with ours. Um, you know, we, we try to get people who are really, really, really passionate um, into this ecosystem. And, and I think like attracts like. Um, and, and, and that's it really, you know, is, is just be authentic about who you are and, and hope that you're a good person and, you know, never give anyone a reason to feel otherwise. Um, I think that's, that's really important, at least to me personally, but also to my team. I think, you know, always, always be kind, always be empathetic and always try to find a win-win. Um, and also just be there hilariously. I think because we have been going, um, for over a decade now. I think people have now seen that we're we're still here, we're still walking the walk, we're still talking the talk. Um and and I think, you know, this isn't an easy thing to do. Um none of my students or my my team have easy roles, right? Like the sports industry is tough. Like I said, you know, it's a tough industry. Um, um and so that passion and that resilience, I think when people see that you mean what you say, you know, you say something and you go through with it. And they see you're authentic. They see that you're honest. They see that you're a good person. Um, and I, I think that that naturally attracts, you know, good attracts good. And like you say, like, attracting like-minded people. We're not the, the right place for everybody, but we're definitely the right place for people that we resonate to, you know. Um, and there's a lot of people, I think, who want to harness the power of sport for good. And that's, that's what we're here to do. And it fits in nicely to the next point because... Obviously, you and I both know, I mean, the demand for jobs in the industry has never been higher. Obviously, it's not a finite game and UCFB, GIS do a terrific job at kind of fostering a culture of innovation and creativity and taking the initiative and being such a sole starter. However, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, Sharona, as we come to an end, I mean, what will separate students now more than ever before breaking into that industry that have no track record? Of prior of track record of prior experience in sports, even. So, I think the way that we have both short courses and degrees addresses some of that. Um, a lot of people don't know if this is even an industry they want to break into, and I think um, one of the things that's important before you embark upon a degree is a to make sure back to that opportunity plus preparedness, right? Um, is making sure you're prepared. So, you know, we do have admissions criteria on our degrees for a reason. Um, on some of on some degrees, it's higher than others. Like, so for example, our coaching degrees, you you need to have certain badges, um, so that we know that you're going to succeed. Because we, you know, I would say we make sure that we have the right people who become part of the ecosystem that we think that we can actually get into the jobs um, that we have for them. Um, but for those who, you know, let's say aren't sure that they want to do a particular degree or don't have the qualifications to do particular degrees. Um, we always sign posts and say, you know, if you want to put the work in, you can get yourself to that level. Um, so whether it's doing short courses or signposting you to external parties that might have, um, you know, whatever bridging qualifications that would help you bolster your skill set before you're ready to do something at GIS, um, we'll always sign posts. You know, it's almost never that we'll just say no without saying, Unfortunately, they weren't successful at this time, but here's what you can do to build your CV or here's what you can do to build your application form um, so that we can get you to where you want to go. And I think that's just frankly like an ethical, um, you know, education, but we do offer short courses so that they're accessible to anyone um, that, you know, that you don't have to have admissions criteria to do some of our short courses. Um, yeah. So I think, I think that's really um the key is making sure that you've got the right people and the right qualified people. But sometimes it's a matter of saying, you know, no on this occasion, but build yourself, you know, in this way. And and frankly, we've all experienced that in life, haven't we? Um, like we don't all succeed in the first try or we've all experienced rejection, but I think it's about, you know, the spirit of what we do is about, we, we want to be accessible to as many people as possible. So we will, you know, signpost to, 
partners or other institutions um, to help you get there um, without doing the wrong thing, I'd say, and putting students, so we would never set someone up to fail. Um, and so, you know, again, building back, back to my theme of building those emotional muscles, those resilient muscles. Um, and I think, you know, that's all part of learning and that's all part of our journey. So, you know, in whatever way we can, um, we'd like to think that we're like a good partner along the way of your journey, whatever part that is really. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, Sharon, I have to say this has been an episode I've been waiting for a long time to do and it hasn't disappointed. Um, oh, I believe a lot of the lessons learned and a lot of insight kind of shared from yourself is certainly going to help not only myself, but help countless others listening navigate the tricky path that is blazing a trail in the sports and industry. But I mean, as you know yourself, as is closing tradition on each and every show of the Lord, I, I end by asking the guest, what would be their one bit of key advice be for anyone wishing to thread a similar path to yourself? I think along the theme of what I just said, I have to say, and, and Connor, you and I have talked about this. Uh, I <laughs> I believe it was it was Gandhi, but it was my older brother who always told me this. He'd always bloody quote Gandhi to me and say, you know, um, when, when you don't get your way or when things don't go your way, it's an opportunity to practice your patience. Um, and he used to, you know, he would he would use it sometimes in, in older brother ways where he'd torture me. Yeah, it's an opportunity to practice your patience. But but truthfully, um, you know, I, I it's strange for me to it's strange for me to actually conceptualize this. But, you know, a lot of people would say that that I've had great success or at least I do at the moment. And I really appreciate it. Right. Because I think things can easily come, go shift. You've always. But um, but oh, my goodness. I mean, that's not been without um so many knocks and and so many difficult moments and so many rejections and so many times I didn't get my way I, I, I often don't get my way actually but you know that's the blessing of keeping my team and my students and my partners happy and um I think you know don't look at things not going your way the first time or the second time or, or even ever don't, don't look at that as um something negative I think you know, the glass needs to always be half full, you know, because no one's ever achieved anything because they've given up, right? Um, and so, you know, always look for the alternative route or the lessons and everything that happens and and think of every knock as an opportunity to practice your patience, an opportunity to build emotional muscle or intellectual muscle. Um, every single moment of your life is, is, is giving you a tool in your toolbox, even if in fact, especially the hard moments, you know, you, you, when you're in pain, they say no pain, no gain. That's emotionally too. Or, you know, if you didn't get the job you wanted, every single moment in life is is building you into the person that that can be your best version as long as you keep that attitude and you recognize that and you build in that way. Um, and I think if everybody does that, uh, then the entire world will be such a more positive and impactful and, you know, a, a better place. Um, and so if I can instill that into all of your listeners, um, that would be, that'd be cool. Fantastic. And what a way to close the show. Thank you so much for coming on Sharona. Thank you for having me, Connor. It was really nice to get to chat to you. <laughs>